Hello, fight fans, and welcome to episode 330 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, and uh, man, we got a big one, a big one this week. We got a big, big fight to review, all sorts of angles to it. We'll get into all that, I promise, and then uh, some news and notes, more fight rumors, and then we got some stuff to look at uh, coming up this weekend. A couple of interesting matchups, both Friday night and Saturday night. So um, I remind you guys, as always, make sure that you're subscribed. Make sure that you click on that notification bell so you never miss a live episode of the show. And, of course, we're going a day later than usual. Uh, usually we go on Monday at 5 o'clock Eastern today. Uh, well, it's Tuesday. We're going on a day later because I was traveling yesterday. You guys know that I was in my hometown of Detroit uh, hanging out, seeing family and friends, but also working at uh, an important event and hopefully one of many to come in the future. So uh, let's get right into that, man. Before I do that, uh, real quick, guys, several of you have asked me why the show is back on my channel right now and not on the Ring Digital. I can't get into specifics right now, but I've been offered some uh, some opportunities and I'm exploring a couple different career opportunities right now. Um negotiating terms and pay and things like that. I can't get into specifics while all that is going on. So right now I'm not posting anything anywhere other than here on my channel. And of course, um, you know, the audio podcast goes out on all the podcast platforms, but all I'm doing right now is my show while I figure this out. So uh, the timing of it just happened to hit uh, at the same time that my wife is very pregnant. Tiffany is uh, due in five weeks. So that's also a reason why I haven't been working quite as much because I'm handling things on that end and I'm going to be uh, locked down for a little bit, right? Once the baby's born. So um, I, I, I've gotten some really cool offers and it's, it's, it'd be a step, a step up. It'd be a climb, uh, you know, a notch up the ladder, which is awesome. So it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing in any way. Uh, it's a really, really good, exciting thing, but I want to make sure I explore every avenue of it and what I say, cross the T's, dot the I's, negotiate terms properly and all that. So uh, before all that is finished and things are worked out with, you know, my wife and our daughter is born, uh, I'm just going to be posting here on my channel. Okay, so just be patient. I can't talk about it until it's a done deal and it's signed, the contracts are done, and then we'll announce it, all right? But I promise you that there's some really cool, exciting news coming very soon. But for right now, yeah, we're just doing it here on my channel. Does that make sense? Okay. So uh, some good stuff to talk about uh, coming soon. All right, let's get to news and notes. So uh, I got to talk a little bit about myself here because I got to explain why I'm a day late and everything else. Um you guys, you watched the show last week. You saw um, Jeff Styers and John Leepak from Crunk Boxing in Detroit. They were on the show, and we were talking about an event that was going to take place, right? So that event took place this Saturday. It was called Crunk versus Everybody. And this was, again, I don't want to call it the new Crunk because it's very much the old Crunk, but it's kind of a relaunch of Crunk. So Jeff Styers. Uh, former pro boxer out of Westland, Michigan, which is just west of Detroit, maybe 20 minutes west. Uh, for those of you from Detroit, you know Westland. It's like north of, of where the airport is, uh, a few a few miles north. Um, he 
ended up doing very, very well after his boxing career in the private sector, started a company. It's very, very successful. He's a very successful businessman. And anyway, he started a gym with a youth development program. He ended up teaming up with um, Emmanuel Stewart's daughter, Sylvia, and they kind of relaunched Kronk with um, the youth development program, which is Emmanuel Stewart's Champions of Tomorrow or Escot. And so that's been the push there. Right. Um, with this new relaunch and this new kind of partnership between Jeff Steyer's old gym and Sylvia uh, Stewart Williams, uh, the daughter of um, Emmanuel Stewart, um, Crunk, the old Crunk gym. So they kind of like teamed up and they've been trying to get uh, an amateur show going. And they, they, the amateur team, the youth team has been boxing. And some of them even went to nationals. I think one even went to Ireland recently and fought over there in an event. So they've been getting around, but Crunk itself hasn't done an event yet since this new kind of partnership. And that's what this was Saturday. So I was up there in Detroit. Um, my wife, this was the, pretty much the last week she can fly. So we went up there and um, it was wonderful, man. I mean, beyond all the, the the great stuff of being able to see some family and friends and got to go to a Detroit Tigers game and watch them get their ass kicked. But the Lions won, so that's cool. Uh, anyway, all that stuff was great, but the event itself, man, um, hanging out with the whole Kronk crew, meeting a lot of those guys for the first time and, uh, seeing the kids in the program and the, the classrooms there, basically what they did is there was an old elementary school that had closed and Jeff Styers bought it. He, he worked a deal with the city and it, cause it was just sitting empty. I want to say for like 20 years bought this elementary school and completely, you know, uh, re, um, I can't think of the word, renovated it. And uh, it's beautiful. It really is beautiful now. And there's classrooms for the kids. Uh, It's not just a boxing gym. It's really like a whole school for them. And they actually have a bus where they can go all, you know, to different parts of town, pick these kids up, I, th- I believe all of them come from a home with only one parent, some of them no parents. And of course, these kids are coming from low-income uh, situations. It's not like they can get a ride to the gym. So the bus actually picks the kids up. In fact, Saturday, the day of the event, the bus went and picked the kids up and brought them to the gym. And a couple hours you know, before the event, when they were getting you know, the weigh-in and all their medical stuff, in one of the um, training rooms, John Lee Pack put on old fights, uh, Thomas Hearns and, and like old, like legendary knights from HBO. Yeah, I think they did a series on um, Leonard and Hearns, right? And stuff like that, just old crunk stuff. Had the kids watching that. So, so great to be around all of that, man. And, and just see the amazing work that these guys are doing. There are a lot of volunteers, um, a lot of community business leaders donating, donating money. And the, the event itself was awesome. They recorded it. I did commentary uh, along with Hilmer Kinty, who is the first world champion that Crunk Boxing ever produced. That was awesome. Thomas Hearns was there. Uh, Milton McCorry. So many great Crunk fighters were there. It was just awesome to meet everybody. It, it was this feeling of community and family. Wonderful people, man. And one of the things I always tell my wife um, is, you know, Detroit gets a bad rap, and justifiably so. Like, the, the media beats up on Detroit, has major issues. There's crime. There's poverty. The, the government is so crooked and corrupt. I, I get it. But the people, Detroit has wonderful people, dude. 
wonderful people. And my wife got to see some of that this weekend. Uh, she, she met a lot of people for the first time and just saw the way people stick together. And it was all about the kids. And they looked really good. There were seven fights. Kronk won all seven of them. I got to call the action. I believe that they're going to broadcast this on the WBC network, the WBC live network. When I get that information, like when they're going to broadcast it, I'll let you guys know. But um, anyway, it was super duper cool, man. I just want to thank everybody up there at Kronk for this. And I, I've talked about this. I was, I was originally supposed to fight on that card. That's what they were trying to find uh, somebody, a master's opponent for me to fight on that. And that blew up. They couldn't find anybody willing to fight me for free. <laughs> yeah, how many guys in uh, you know 35 and over want to fight for free? You got to be kind of half crazy, which I have definitely been accused of before. So um, couldn't find me an opponent that was willing. I think at one point they had one and he, he pulled out. So they ended up saying, hey, Mike, come on up here, man. And we'll take care of you and Tiff and you can meet everybody and you could call the fights. So that's how it ended up working out. And it, it was just a wonderful time. And I'm so glad that, um, you know, that was basically like the last kind of trip we could do before uh, Tiffany has the baby next month. And it was cool for her to go up there. Uh, technically, my daughter got to go because my daughter comes with Tiffany, right? So she got to be there and everything. It was just a special event, man. So uh, thank you for obliging me, guys. I just wanted to talk a little bit about my experience this weekend. I know a lot of you are like, don't talk about yourself. Talk about. I, I just had to explain all that. So thank you for obliging me there. Um, but I will, I will say one last thing. Um, Krunk is going to continue doing amateur shows and starting next year, they'll want to start doing pro shows. So there's going to be some exciting news coming out of Kronk in Detroit. I will be involved in that. To what extent we're still figuring out. Okay. Uh, whether it be in the ring or ringside. I can't really discuss more than that right now. I'll just leave it there. But some cool stuff coming down the road uh, next year. Okay, let's uh, talk about this one last little news item here. And I'm not going to spend long on this because it's driving me nuts. Errol Spence, Terrence Crawford. So Mike Coppinger, I'm going to go ahead and give him a shout out over at ESPN. And I don't know if it's a real positive shout out or not. He tweeted last week, uh, halfway through the week. I don't know. It might have been. It might have been Wednesday, Thursday. I honestly can't remember about this fight apparently being agreed to in principle. The terms are agreed to, but the contracts haven't been signed. Nothing's been officially announced. So it was basically an announcement of a possible pending announcement. It felt really forced. It felt like the timing of it was kind of forced to get some clicks during the fight week of the biggest event of the year. It felt like somebody maybe asked him to do that as a favor to get some web traffic going. That's how these things work. Um, and again, I don't know, have no inside info on that. It's just how it felt to me. We've heard that this fight is close to being done 14,000 times until we see an official announcement from the fighters and the promotion itself. I just really don't care to really break it down. Okay. But apparently it's November 19th, Las Vegas, Fox pay-per-view and a rematch clause both ways, meaning whoever loses is going to demand a rematch. So no matter what happens, these two are going to fight again in 2023. All right, so that's what's going on there. And again, will it happen? Probably. And you guys know this. Look, I, I've been skeptical. I've been highly critical of the timeline. But I have stated numerous times right here on the show and on Twitter 
and stuff that I'm still confident the fight happens because they're, they're in, in the end, money talks. And what we do know, what I do know for sure, okay, per my sources, negotiations absolutely have been happening all summer. The major roadblock was with Terrence Crawford. He was going to have to lower his demands because PBC was simply not willing to pay him what he wanted. So all the talk that we had for years and years and years of Bob Arum being the major roadblock, him being the major issue, turns out, yeah, like I was saying all along, that was pretty much bullshit. The major roadblock was that Terrence Crawford isn't quite worth what he thinks he is. Uh, neither of these guys, you know, is worth what they're going to be paid ultimately in the marketplace. But um, the, the whole marketplace is bloated, is what I'm saying. But um, so Crawford's going to have to like acquiesce and like pull back a little bit on his demands, and that's ultimately how the fight's going to get done. All right, let's leave that alone. Let's move on, shall we? Um, super chat from my man Anthony Santiago, who was there in Las Vegas. Uh, with another friend of the show, Jack Alter, Anthony says, uh, what Kronk is doing is awesome. Wish I had a program like that when I was a kid. Absolutely, brother. And thank you for the super chat, by the way. I uh, hope you had fun in Vegas, although you guys didn't quite get the, um, the, the result that you wanted. And I'll talk about that uh, in just a minute here. But yeah, dude, what Kronk's doing is great. One of, the, one of the things that really made an impression on me, dude, and I forgot to mention this, was... Um, Title Boxing has gotten involved and they're donating not just uh, like gloves and stuff, which, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, Everlast and stuff do, does at a lot of the gyms. They're donating equipment, bro, bags, um, all kinds of coaching equipment, athletic equipment, shoes, trunks, jerseys. So there's an actual locker room at the Crunk facility. And when I walked in uh, Saturday morning, I went there Friday night and hung out a little bit. And then I went Saturday morning and I worked out there, which was fun. Then I came back Saturday and worked. But I noticed in the locker room, there was a row of lockers with everyone's uniform in there. And, uh, you know, you're you're seeing shoes, you're seeing trunks, jerseys, all of it. And I'm thinking, man, what that does for a kid's self esteem, having a uniform, bro is a big thing. And at least it was for me. I, I, I grew up not having a whole lot of money and stuff like that. I was fortunate though, to have two parents at home. Very, very fortunate because a lot of people in my neighborhood did not have that. Um, a lot of people in my family did not have that, but I did. Anyway, the first time I had a uniform, it's when I started playing sports. It just did so much for my self-esteem seeing my number or my name or whatever on a Jersey and being in a locker room, like lined up like that with, with, you know, my teammates and stuff. And then like walking through the halls of the school like that, you know, uh, it just, it, it makes you stand up a little straighter. It makes you feel better about yourself. Even if you don't come from, even if you come from an area of town, that's, you know, um, you know, not doing very well and you don't have the coolest clothes and you know, all that sort of stuff. That just gives you a certain confidence. And you could see what it did with these kids, man. It, it, it just, it was like, oh man, it was just so cool to be around that. I really think that these guys are doing awesome work, man. And several of the kids looked really, really good. I mean, some really good looking prospects. <clears throat> Aaron with the super chat. Thank you so much, Aaron. I appreciate it, brother. He says, Mike, looking at Triple G at 40 was seriously depressing. The world is cruel. If you grew up in the U.S. in an urban area, he would have had every single privilege. Well, let's get into that because um, that's a good segue. I mean, I know you guys want to get to this damn fight review, right? You're like, Mike, enough with the anecdotes. 
Um, yeah, let's get into this. <clears throat> so last Saturday, September 17th, unless you were sleeping under a rock, you already know what happened, but I'm going to break it all down right here. Uh, Matchroom Boxing, DAZN pay-per-view, where DAZN subscribers such as myself paid $65 to watch ads. Why am I watching ads during a pay-per-view? It's kind of, it's an oxymoron. Anyway, T-Mobile Arena, Las Vegas. And uh, before I get into the main event, real quick, let's talk about this undercard. Um, it was pretty much, uh, most of the fights on the undercard were at least set up as showcases for some of these younger guys. So Ali Akhmadov scores a unanimous decision win over Gabriel Rosado in a super middleweight fight. Um, Rosado able to go the distance. Uh, Akhmadov looked like he was being cautious and careful, which is fine. Got in rounds, got in 10 good rounds. For Rosado, time to hang him up, bro. Time to hang him up. You got one last payday here. Uh, last year, I think it was last year, or maybe the year before that, you got a big upset knockout, kind of rejuvenated your career for the 8 billionth time. And I mean that in a good way. And you got a couple paydays off that. Cool. Time to walk away. Time to walk away. I really hope he does. As for Akmanov, this was a good little learning block right? And now he can kind of move forward, uh, but there's still ways to go there, okay? There's still a developing fighter. In the co-main, Jesse Bam Rodriguez improves to 17-0 with a unanimous decision win over Israel Gonzalez, uh, a Mexican fighter who maybe wasn't on the radar of many American boxing fans. He sure is now after this performance. Uh, he definitely overperformed. Bam underperformed according to standards, according to, I should say, expectations coming in from fans in the media. This was the second defense of BAM's WBC junior bantamweight title. Now, first, let's start with the scorecards because the scorecards in this fight probably would have looked better in the main event. The scorecards in the main event probably would have looked better in this fight. And I'll talk about scorecards, trust me, okay? But uh, Tim Cheatham somehow had this 118-109. I liked him. I've talked to Tim in person. Super nice guy. I, that's just too wide for me. I do think Rodriguez won, but this was a pretty close fight. I think some people were a little too influenced from the DAZN broadcast that was almost acting like this was a draw. It wasn't. I thought Bam clearly won. Uh, he did get dirty in there, right? He got a little nasty, a little chippy, but um, he won the fight. I think some people on Twitter were just a little too influenced by the DAZN commentators who didn't have their best night at the office, top to bottom. And I like some guys in that crew. I like Todd Grisham a lot. He's a friend of the show. But just the whole crew, top to bottom, didn't necessarily have the best night. They called, they called Gennady Golovkin Triple H at one point, and it wasn't even corrected. Um, so just not the best night, but these things happen. Uh, anyway, Max DeLuca, 117-110. That's not the fight that happened. Patricia, Patricia Morse-Jarman, 114-113. And in my opinion, that was a little too close. So, But at least that was a little more in the realm of reality than the other two scorecards. But to me, none of these scorecards were really <laughs> great. Uh, but anyway, the right man won. Bam Rodriguez won this fight. Okay. However, those scorecards, yeah, that didn't look good. Uh, let's talk about Bam Rodriguez here. Uh, wasn't pretty, wasn't a pretty win, 
But he needed a fight like this. How many times have we been on this show talking about young guys, developing fighters, needing this sort of fight? Um, Tiafimo Lopez, who was it? Was it Nak Nakatani? I think it was Nakatani. Took him the distance. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, guys. And a lot of people thought, oh, this guy's overrated. Oh, man, you know, he's nothing. He needed that fight. And then, you know, less than a year later, he's beating Lomachenko and he's the fighter of the year, right? We've seen things like this before. This was a good 12 rounds, 36 minutes of professional prize fighting experience for Bam Rodriguez, who, if we're being honest, has had an awesome year, but he has been feasting on older, faded fighters. He has been. And I think now this shows where Quadras and, and some of these other guys are at. And I'm going to include Estrada, Chocolatito, that generation, of Sorongisai. They're all now past their best years. And the baton is being passed. And I just think, bam, where he's at right now is kind of ready to be the new guy. And there's a couple other new guys as well. But that generation, dude, Listen, Estrada and Chocolatito are going to give us a fantastic fight when they fight for the third time later this year. Fantastic fight. But we're crazy if we try to try to suggest, anybody who does, tries to suggest that they're anywhere near the top of their game. They're not. And that's going to be, like I think, the theme of this episode. And it's going to bother some of you. You're going to hear some things you don't want to hear. But that's what I do here. I tell the truth. And at some point, if you tell the truth, you piss everybody off. I'm going to piss some of you off today particularly Golovkin fans. So get ready. Um, <clears throat> anyway, is Bam Rodriguez fighter of the year for 2022? No. I'm going to go ahead and say it right now. He's not. Three wins, fantastic wins um, earlier this year over older faded fighters. But this performance shows that he's still a developing young fighter. What I would call Bam Rodriguez is the 2022 breakout fighter of the year. Now, if he gets back in the ring in November or December and gets a fourth W, different discussion. We'll have a different discussion then. But as of right now, Alexander Usyk is my fighter of the year. And I know he only fought once, but he fought against a guy that's 50 pounds naturally larger than him in a situation where he was brought there to lose. Joshua is, is the guy. Right, other than Canelo, Joshua's the cash cow of this sport. That entire promotion was set up. I'm not saying in a shady way, I'm just saying it was set up for Joshua to redeem himself and get that W, right? And with everything Usyk was facing in his personal life and otherwise, to get that W again, I know it's just one win, but so far he's the fighter of the year, in my opinion. Bam is a candidate. I can't give it him though. Beating an old quadras. Uh, an old wrong side and then struggling, but getting by against Gonzalez, a guy who had four losses and a draw coming in, uh, who had barely fought outside of Mexico just a handful of times. I, I can't give it to him yet. I just can't. So I know it's going to piss some of you off as well. Uh, let's see. So uh, Gonzalez, as I, as I mentioned last week, uh, most of his fights in Mexico, and generally speaking, loses when he steps up. He lost to Chocolatito, Khalid Yafai, Jerwin Ancajas, okay? And in fact, those losses were much more dominant losses. They were more one-sided than this fight. Jerwin Ancajas stopped him 
Okay. So does this mean that Bam Rodriguez is a bum or he's overrated or he's a hype job? No, of course not. It means that he came in, maybe taking this guy a bit lightly. I, from what I heard, he, it's not, he didn't even necessarily want to fight again this soon. He wanted to take a rest and come back later in the year, but it was actually his trainer and his team that said, dude, you get to fight on this undercard. Shit. You just, you just, you know, like step it up here a little bit, suck it up and do this fight. And so he was kind of going through the motions a little bit. And he, he, you know, he underperformed a little bit, but he got the W. So you know, this doesn't mean he's a hype job at all. All right. Before I get into the main event, let's look at a couple super chats. Want to make sure I'm not missing anything. All right, uh, Papa Chubby with the Super Chat. Thank you so much. He says, we saw ads, but quality commentary made up for it. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that one alone. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what was more troubling to me, uh, Chad, the uh, the commentary or the ads. To me, the ads just annoyed the hell out of me because I'm like, dude, for what I'm paying, there's ads all over the ring, all over the the arena, all over everything. And I'm paying money and you're still showing me ads. Oh, Sam with the super chat. Thank you so much, Sam. He said, Bam got tattooed in this fight. Lucky to get the win. I hear you, bro, but he got the win and he's 22 years old. So th this is one of those developmental things, man, where it's going to make him a better fighter. And, you know, so you can't look perfect every night. You just can't. And this isn't basketball where you get 82 games a year or baseball, 162 games a year. Even Bam is one of the more active fighters. If you're fighting three, four times a year, if just one of those nights is an off night, you know, uh, it's, it's going to look a certain way. It's going to leave a certain impression. But um, I've been around this for a minute, just like you have, Sam. And you got to admit, this kid looks pretty good. I think he's going to get better. And another one here from Papa Chubby. Thanks again. He says, four fights within a year, Bam seemed flat and exhausted. That's exactly what I saw. Yeah, I think you're right. Within a calendar year, it has been four fights. It's been three fights in 2022. And he looked a little flat to me, especially up front. He picked it up down the stretch, but he just looked a little winded and tired and like he almost kind of didn't want to be there. And again, I've been told that that's pretty much what he's said. Um, to people and people in his team convinced him to do this just because of the exposure. Sometimes things like that end up working against you though, you know? <clears throat> okay. Let's get into this main event. Here we go. Canelo Alvarez scores a unanimous decision win over Gennady Golovkin. The first defense of his undisputed super middleweight crown. He had defended several of the belts a, a few times, but this was the first defense of the undisputed Super middleweight championship for him retains that championship. Uh, so most people from what I've seen, most people uh, were disappointed in, in this, really this whole event, but particularly the main event, um, several things they didn't like, and I'll get into all of them. But the general feeling I think that's been expressed is that Canelo fans went into this expecting, hoping for, and wanting to see a knockout, a definitive knockout of Golovkin. And Triple G fans wanted to see this throwback performance. You know, the Triple G of his prime from a decade ago. That's what they wanted to see. Neither side got what they wanted. 
And everybody came in remembering the first two fights and how those were consensus fights of the year among the best middleweight championship fights we've seen in the last 50 years. And people were expecting that sort of thing. And I think a lot of people, myself, what I thought coming in is because Triple G was past his best, it would actually make the fight better because I thought Canelo would be able to get to him more and force him to dig down and fight even more and it open things up. That's what I expected. It didn't happen that way. So let's talk about that. Um, you know, the output for both fighters was down compared to the second fight, which was four years ago. Okay. It was four years ago. Uh, Triple G in the rematch was, yeah, the, sec the second fight in 2018. He threw 879 punches, landed 234. This past Saturday, he threw 521 and landed 120. So, I mean, it, it, the punches landed was basically half of what it was in the second fight. And most of what he landed was the jab. The power punching was less than half. He threw 350 some odd less punches. So Triple G's output was significantly down. And it wasn't necessarily due to pressure from Canelo because his output was down as well. In the rematch four years ago, Canelo was 202 for 622. This Saturday, he was 130 for 487. So his output was significantly lower as well. Both men, I think, kind of underperformed according to what expectations were going in. And maybe to varying degrees, depending on the different fan bases you talk to. But once again, the general consensus is that both men underperformed, and this was an underwhelming third fight. All right? So I talked last week about this rivalry being possibly the greatest rivalry of the 2000s. I need to correct that. Several of you corrected me uh, on, on social media. But look, Barrera Morales, that went over into the 2000s. Uh, Pacquiao Morales, um, Gotti Ward went over into the 2000s, right? These are these are a while ago. This is going back, you know, 10, 20 years, some of these fights, um, well, over 10 years ago. But they were part of the 2000s. So I need I stand corrected. Also, Roman Gonzalez and Juan Francisco Estrada, really, really great two fights. And I think we still have the potential to have a fantastic third fight there. So that one lives up as well. So I just wanted to correct that from last week. However, I still stand by my word that in terms of overall star power, all right, in terms of the level of stardom and the level of action that we got, this really was perhaps the last great rivalry or one of the last few that fight fans are going to get. Unfortunately, because the third fight was a bit of a dud, it kind of lessens the whole trilogy. And in terms of action, there are way better third fights. I could point to a million examples. But I do think a lot of people out there are having short memories because there's plenty of examples I could point to where a third fight between two rivals sucked. It either underperformed because there was not as much action or it was completely one-sided and one dude just got absolutely beat to a pulp. There are a million examples I could bring up, okay? So 
you know, was this the worst trilogy fight? Was this the worst third fight I've ever seen in a rivalry like this? Hell no. Absolutely not. Not even close. There's a million examples I could point to. But I just think people get caught up in a moment and have short memories. Okay. Let's talk about criticism of Canelo's attitude in this fight, seemingly being cool with going the distance and not going for the kill. I think there's several reasons for this. But one thing I do have to give Canelo tremendous credit for, he brought back the jab in this fight. He has not been using the jab the last three, four years. Well, after the Jacobs fight, really, the last three years. And mostly because he hasn't had to. He has not been fighting fighters at the top level. And I don't care what you guys say. Saunders, Plant, Smith, Fielding, Yildirim. Good fighters there. A couple, a few of them are really good fighters, but they're not at the pound for pound elite level. And the 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 style that several of them fight with, particularly Plant and Saunders, Canelo didn't have to use a jab. Those guys don't throw any punches and they have no power, none. So Canelo was able to kind of just walk them down and use head movement and catch shots and counter and rip to the body and rip upstairs. That's all he had to do. But in this fight, he brought back the jab. And it actually looked pretty good. And it, it, I almost had forgotten that Canelo has a solid jab. It's not as good as Golovkin's at his best, but it's still among one of the better jabs in the sport. And he showed it in this fight. It worked for him. And it set the tone early on. And it um, really threw Golovkin off his rhythm a little bit. Now, Canelo claims that he came into this fight with a wrist injury, a wrist injury that he suffered during the plant fight. So if you take Canelo at his word, which I'm going to do here on this show, we're going to take Canelo at his word, that he's been fighting hurt for basically a year now. He was compromised when he fought Dimitri Bevel. He was not 100% for that fight. And he was not 100% for this fight. And he uh, claims that he can't hold things. He can't like hold a cup of water with that hand. The wrist is so badly uh, injured. And so he, he's. you think about guys, if you're in the gym trying to lift weights, if you're trying to shadow box with weights and you can't hold anything, you can't do that. You can't bench press the same way. There's certain things you can't like do power cleans and, and things like that. Uh, if you can't grip a bar and apparently he couldn't, so he couldn't push himself again. I'm taking him at his word here. He couldn't push himself as much in the gym. He couldn't get to that next level of conditioning and explosiveness to prepare for Bivol or for Golovkin. So why go forward with the Golovkin fight then? Why go forward with it? He went forward with the Bevel fight. It didn't work out for him. Maybe he thought he could fight with the injury. Um, and you saw that he couldn't, let's say, you know, he, he couldn't, wasn't as explosive. He, he got winded late in that fight. So why, why not delay the Golovkin fight some more and uh, get a surgery and do the Golovkin fight next year? Well, there are tens of millions of reasons why, you know, um, but primarily, I think it's because Golovkin, or I'm sorry, Canelo and his team saw that Golovkin is past his best years. And there's been evidence of that in his recent fights. And I'll talk more about that in a minute. And that's some of the stuff that maybe some of you guys just don't want to hear, but it's true. Um, so for Canelo, I, I think that maybe he pulled back in this fight and wasn't as aggressive offensively as he had been before because he didn't want to risk further injury. And you take a, a minor, uh, I think the, the arthroscopic surgery that he needs to get in his wrist is kind of an in-and-out procedure. And it's just a few weeks of recovery. 
But you could turn that into something where, you know, you're potentially talking major surgery with, um, you know, uh, pins and stuff in your hand that takes you out of, out of the ring, uh, out of training for six months. You know, you could go from a minor little thing to something that becomes major in one, one mistake can cause that. Also, regardless of what Canelo says and what Golovkin says, both of these men have hurt each other and buzzed each other in the 36 rounds that they have spent. And I don't think Canelo wanted to give Golovkin any chances. Why risk it? Why risk getting caught with something and giving the old man a chance to pull out the victory when you're far ahead, you're about to put tens of millions in the bank and you want to heal up, get your surgery, rest for a while and rematch Dimitri Bivol next year. Why risk all that? Remember guys, right before the first Golovkin fight, Canelo had a fight against Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. And a lot of people criticized him for not stepping on the gas in that fight and not trying to get him out of there. Why the hell would you if you didn't have to when you had tens of millions on the line for the Golovkin fight? I think that's the way Canelo looked at this. Guys, this is a business. It is sports entertainment. It is a sport. It's, it's a martial art. It's all those things. It's also entertainment. And these guys have a business plan, particularly when you're at the level of Canelo. He's the face of the sport. You have a business plan mapped out for the next 12 to 24 months. They all do. Canelo's entire team, everybody at the zone, Reynoso, Eddie Hearn, everybody working with him has a business plan for the next 12 to 24 months. You're going to jeopardize that shit because a few fans are booing at you? Fuck them. That's the attitude. And honestly, I don't blame him. Canelo won seven of the first eight rounds, six of the first seven rounds. I mean, it was something like that. The only round you could give uh, Golovkin in the first half of the fight was possibly the first round, and that was a swing round. Neither guy really did a lot, but you could give that round to, to Golovkin. But in the second half of the fight, Canelo had built up such a huge lead. Why, why risk it? Why? Why, why? If you miss one punch and you hit on the hip the wrong way or on the, on the head the wrong way, and that risk, that wrist uh, tweaks, dude, you might be out of the ring until late next year. You're missing out on a 20 million, 30 million plus dollar payday in the spring. Why the hell would you do that? So there's several reasons why Canelo pumped the brakes a little bit. I think those are the major reasons. I do also think that despite all the trash talk between these two, there's a certain amount of respect there, which you saw after the fight. Now they're buddy, buddy. So all those things are going on with Can uh, Canelo. There's no need for conspiracy theory here. There's none. This is all standard business. <laughs> We've seen a billion examples of it that I could pull up. I think some of you guys are just maybe, particularly you younger guys, are maybe uh, not as well versed in the history and have, have just haven't seen this play play out before. But a, a lot of boxing fans have. And it's like you, you saw this and you're like, oh, okay, I, I get what's going on here. Now, as far as Golovkin goes, um, this is the hard part where I think I know a lot of Triple G fans uh, are here on the show and uh, several of you guys pick Golovkin to win, even some of you guys by knockout, right? And, and look, I would admit I expected a little more out of him than, than I saw. I thought it would be more competitive. I picked Canelo to win by decision, which is ultimately what happened. But I definitely thought it would be another close fight. I thought that it'd be maybe seven rounds to five, eight rounds to four, somewhere in there. I ended up scoring this fight 117-111 for Canelo. I, I, the absolute most you could do for Golovkin is four rounds, and that's if you're giving him every single swing round. 
I thought he won right around three rounds. Uh, so I thought uh, 117, 111 was the right score in my opinion. I don't think anybody out there would call me a Golovkin hater, <laughs> um, you know, or, or, or a critic of Golovkin. I think i um, definitely been one of his um, supporters in the media because I, I was around for his rise and I, I'm very well versed in, in some of the things that he had to go through to get where he's at. Uh, he is a guy that kind of got a raw deal in some ways and it became a sympathetic figure. Um, but I'm seeing things out there. Um, people suggesting that this fight was fixed. You guys got to stop with the fixed fight bullshit, especially some of the things that you're saying. I'm seeing people basically saying, oh, Golovkin took an extra couple million. I've literally heard people say this. Golovkin took a couple extra million under the table to give Canelo this win because he's the uh, the cash cow and they got to get him back in the win column and Golovkin can move back down to 160 anyway. He's still got his titles there. So we did Canelo this solid. Guys, Golovkin has made over $100 million in his career. He's had a major boner for Canelo these last four years. Been calling him out. The only reason this fight took so long, it wasn't because of Golovkin. It's because of Canelo. They're waiting him out. Um, you, you think he's getting paid tens of millions of dollars for this fight. You think an extra couple million to take a dive is in this guy's DNA? One of the reasons why Golovkin is so beloved, okay, I'm not even talking about the fans, but uh, among boxing media and insiders, and why so many are jealous of him at the same time in the same community is because he's an honest fighter. He's one of the last true throwbacks that is a clean athlete in an era where everybody's on performance enhancing drugs. Like so many of these guys are doing this shit and keep in mind working in media on the beat, you become privy to off the record information, right? You start going out with people, getting beers after the fights you, you meet uh, for lunch, you, you talk, you hang out at the gyms and you talk to people, you talk to people in the know and People at the boxing media, they know who's juicing. They know who's cheating. They know who's not. And one of the big reasons that Golovkin became so beloved is that he was doing what he was doing as a clean fighter who had been ripped off by the industry in several different ways. And he was kind of having to do it the old school, old fashioned way, right? So you're telling me one of the cleanest, most honest throwback guys out there is going to tank a fight at 40 years old in the twilight of his career against the guy that is his arch nemesis, greatest rival grow the fuck up. No, some of you just have to understand that father time is undefeated. And the fact that Golovkin looked the way he looked is a testament to him being a clean athlete. That's the way you're supposed to look. At 40, going up against a guy who may not have been 100% healthy in Canelo, but he's 32 years old. He's in his physical prime. A 40-year-old fighter going up against a 32-year-old fighter in their prime should look the way Golovkin looked. In fact, it's amazing that he looked as good as he looked at that age. That's the truth. That's the truth. And some people have said, well... I thought old fighters are supposed to fade late. Golovkin came on late. No. Shot fighters fade late. Old fighters 
who are still serviceable and still have enough to beat most of the guys out there. It takes them a while to get out of first gear. They don't come out, you know, opening bell in second or third gear. They come out in first gear and it takes a while. But once they get there, they've got all that muscle memory, all that experience, and then they open up a little bit and they look pretty good. Case in point, recent example, when Vasily Lomachenko fought Tiafimo Lopez, it was basically the same damn thing that played out. Lomachenko at his absolute best, much better fighter than Tiafimo Lopez will ever be, ever, right? And that is how Lomachenko was able to narrow the gap in the second half of that fight. It's the same thing here. Gennady Golovkin at his absolute best was a much better fighter than Canelo at his best. It's just the truth. Sorry, Canelo fans. It's a much better middleweight. How about that? That's the truth. And that's how it's part of the reason why Golovkin was able to have a little bit of success later on and kind of make it interesting, like Loma was able to do against Tio. By the way, Lomachenko, Tiafimo Lopez, that was a closer fight than this was. That's the truth. But um, Golovkin having a little bit of a second wind. I don't even know if I call it a second wind. I'd call it an old guy getting out of first gear finally in the second half of the fight. And muscle memory and all that stuff kicking in. The thousands and thousands of rounds that he has spent training and fighting and practicing kicked in. It just took him a while. He's 40 years old. And some of you will say, well, he started slow against Murata, but he, he, he really caught on by like the third, fourth round. Yeah, it's Ryota Murata. Ryota Murata and Sergei Derevyanchenko are not on the same stratosphere as Canelo Alvarez is. Canelo, love him or hate him, and I know he's got plenty of haters out there, he's still one of the top 10 pound-for-pound fighters in all of boxing. So Golovkin wasn't going to really get to the point where he got against Murata. Not this version of Golovkin. So all of you suggesting that there was a fix, there was fuckery afoot, I already told you why that's that's absolute nonsense. But um, y- y- the truth is, you don't have to go anywhere for a conspiracy. Everything I'm about to state is true, okay? For you conspiracy guys. You don't need to make up new shit. Here's the truth. There's already plenty of shadiness surrounding this entire trilogy. Gennady Golovkin became Canelo Alvarez's mandatory in late 2015. when. Uh, when Canelo beat Miguel Cotto, right? Cotto paid Golovkin step-aside money so that he could fight Canelo. When Canelo beat Cotto, he inherited his mandatory, which is Gennady Golovkin. It took two years from that point to get Canelo in the ring with Golovkin. He dumped his belt, the coveted WBC belt, the WBC headquartered in Mexico. Canelo, a proud Mexican. The WBC is the most important belt a Mexican fighter can hold. Threw that shit in the trash. Because Canelo, the Reynosos, Oscar De La Hoya, nobody involved at Canelo's team wanted a piece of Golovkin in 2015 or 2016. It took it took until the end of 2017 before they finally got in the ring with him. And when it finally did happen, Golovkin got fucking robbed. That's not an opinion. That's just the truth. There's a lot of revisionist history now of people saying, oh, you know, I always thought Canelo won. It's, it's very interesting because all the people saying that, they weren't even there that night. They weren't even there in 2015 
like I was when Canelo was fighting Cotto. And like they weren't there for any of those fights. They weren't a part of the damn beat. They weren't on the beat. It's all revisionist history. If you were in the arena that night, 95% of people, including the overwhelming majority of Mexican media, knew, not thought, knew Golovkin won and got robbed. A year later, you get the rematch. There's the whole Clemuterol thing. I'm not even going to get into that and rehash that. It took four years, four years from the second fight to the third fight. Do you think that was because Golovkin stalled or Canelo stalled? Which, which one do you think prevented the fight from happening? Now, there was the COVID thing. There was the pandemic. Let's be fair there. But that second fight was more brutal for both men, but particularly for Canelo. How many punches did Golovkin land in that fight? Let me check. 234 punches landed on Canelo in that fight, including a lot of hard power shots. And down the stretch in the closing rounds of that fight, Golovkin made an adjustment and put some hard leather on Canelo when he was fatigued in those championship rounds. He remembered that. So did his team. So did everybody involved. So they waited Golovkin out even longer. And they went on this run at super middleweight where it was very selective, perfectly timed matchmaking, where they could go in there and clean out that division without having to fight the best challenger in that division, which is David Benavidez. Not that he's proven that with his resume, but just with the eye test, okay? And then they bit off a little more than they could chew against Bivol, but they always knew the option for the third Golovkin fight was here. So did Eddie Hearn, so did everybody at the zone. Everybody involved. The zone made some strategic, just massive errors, not protecting their investment. They should have had the third fight in 2019, but they screwed up on their contracts. That's on them. In the end, though, this thing got pushed back four years, and Golovkin well past his best. Go back and watch the Ryota Murata fight again. All that's true. Okay. And I'll add this. The scorecards for this third fight. Dave Moretti, 116-112. Dave Sutherland and Steve Weisfeld, 115-113. Those are bad scores. But you know what those scores were? Those were makeup scores. Those were makeup calls. If you're watching the NBA and you know somebody breathes on LeBron James, it goes, oh, he falls down and you know has a seizure. They call a foul, right? And they'll do that. That's how LeBron's made his whole career out of that. But sometimes the crowd will boo and boo, and they'll just give a makeup call. And they'll actually be, all right, LeBron, you travel on every play, you carry on every play. We're going to call it one time. And LeBron, oh my God, bro. That's a makeup call. It happens in the NFL every game, the NBA. That's what these scores were. It's not complicated. This was a subconscious way. Even if these judges... guys, it's not as if there was this meeting and Bob Bennett sat down with Eddie Hearn and they sat down with Sergio Mora and and the whole crew there at um, Chris Mannix, the whole crew at the zone. They said, all right, guys, here's what we want. We want two 115-113 scorecards. Here's your check. Here's your check. And we want one 116-112. Here's your check. And um, here's your uh, meal voucher. Yeah, a gift card for J.C. Penney's. Check out their slacks. They're really comfortable. That's not how it works. No, this was all subconscious, but this was basically the industry 
throwing Golovkin a bone and saying, yeah, we kind of butt fucked you, no Vaseline in 2017. And then 2018, yeah. We really didn't give you the benefit of the doubt in a really close fight. We gave it to the champ. We maybe could have gave you that one. We're going to make this one look closer on the cards. We're going to give you these swing rounds because you're really clearly losing this fight. But you're the sentimental favorite, and people are going to boo the shit out of us. If I score this 118-110, I'm going to be compared to Adelaide Bird. I'm going to shade some of these close rounds for Golovkin, especially when the fight started off like 5-1 Canelo. And the writing was on the wall that Canelo was going to win. I think some of these judges, human factor kicked in, and they started giving scoring some makeup calls. That's it. Now, is this a form of corruption? Sure, you can argue that. I would argue it's more a form of ineptitude. That's what I would say. What do I always tell you guys? When you score a fight, you can have no memory of what took place before, right? You got to be a goldfish. Well, that clearly didn't happen here. I mentioned this with everything else I had mentioned before because it's all true. So all you conspiracy guys thinking there has to be a fix. and there, You already got plenty of shit to talk about. There's already plenty of shade in this. You got your Netflix four-part series here, okay? You don't need to add to it. You don't need to make up shit. You don't need to be the glove gate guys with Deontay Wilder and the egg weight guys. You don't need to be those people. <laughs> don't be like them. Be better. <laughs> be more mature. Be better. There's plenty of shadiness in this whole series. Don't add make-believe bullshit to it. These two fighters and their makeup, they don't do gimmies. They don't lay down. They, they, don't, they don't throw fights. Mike Canelo pull back on the brakes to prevent getting injured to make sure he gets his 30 plus million dollar payday next spring. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I could see that. Might the promotion get Golovkin in the ring against a couple guys he can look really, really good against to make people think he's closer to his prime than he really is. So when they get him in uh, with Canelo, it, it creates a little more demand. Yeah, that's all business of boxing. That's not a fix. That's business. Sports entertainment. So if you guys follow me on Twitter, I talked about this yesterday. Um, this wasn't a fix. This wasn't some grand scheme. There wasn't, you know, the Illuminati sitting in a room. <laughs> How can we rip off these people again? No. But this was what I would call a presentation, a production. And all the things I mentioned were part of it. And sometimes you got to play up the animosity factor. Sometimes one guy has to look a little weak coming into a fight, and then one guy has to look a little strong, uh, maybe stronger than he really is. The other guy uh, look looks weaker than he really is to paint a certain picture so people buy in. So you fork over that 65 bucks, or if you're not a DAZN subscriber, 85 bucks. So you go to your local theater and buy some popcorn and watch the, the fight there. So you spend a ridiculous amount of money for completely overpriced tickets and go to Vegas and drop thousands of dollars for a fight that most insiders knew coming in probably wasn't going to be at the quality level of the first and second fight. Okay. And when I say insiders, I'm talking about people directly related to the promotion. All right. That's what I mean by production. <sighs> I'm not saying that this was shady. I'm not saying that it was wrong. I'm, not, I'm just saying that's part of the sports entertainment 
part of boxing. That's really all this was. There's just no fix. So where does where both men go from here? Oh, so I should I should note this. I tweeted about this during the fight, by the way. Adelaide Bird's scorecard from the first bout would have been reasonable for this fight. 118-110 might be a little too wide. Again, I scored at 117-111, but it would have been within the realm of reality and reason. I found that to be really ironic and kind of a last laugh from Adelaide Bird on all of us, that her scorecard from that first fight ended up being what played out in the third and final fight. She had to be watching that and kind of smiling somewhere and laughing at us all. All right, where does Gennady Golovkin go from here? So he still has two middleweight belts. He's the unified middleweight title holder. He's the number one middleweight in the world by default. Now, does that mean he gets in there and mops the floor with the likes of Jamal Charlo, Jaime Munguia, and the like? I don't know. I would favor him in those matchups, but it would be very a very cautious favoring. Three, four, five years ago, Golovkin stops those fighters. He brutally stops Charlo, and he stops Munguia just with a, an accumulation of, of damage. He stops Demetrius Andre. He stops those fighters. Now, I may favor him to win a decision, but it'd be tough, and it would not shock me to see him come up short against some of those guys in, in certain situations, all right? But he's got options. The most lucrative fight for him in 2023 is a fight with Jaime Munguia. And I've been telling you guys, if you watch this show, that fight will happen. That fight will happen. So it's likely to happen next spring. I think that's where Golovkin will go next, unless he has some sort of mandatory and wants to just knock that out, take care of it. You know, a sizzle, uh, uh, Zermeda level opponent, Steve Rolls, that level guy, just kind of get busy, get in the ring and fight one, boom, knock one out. Okay, he might do that again. But apparently this was his last fight with the zone. Now, I thought he signed a six-fight deal with the zone. This was only his fifth fight with them. But maybe there's an option to walk or something. I don't know. But he he told reporters during fight week that this was his last fight with the zone. So that opens him up to go to top rank, to PBC. You don't know. He could do anything. Um, so he's got options. He's going to continue to fight, and he's going to be in some big fights in 2023, okay? But he's the number one middleweight right now by default, but that's a cautious rating, and it's more based on overall body of work and the fact that he has two title belts. We know Demetrius Andrade's leaving the middleweight division going to 168, so him and Golovkin are never going to fight. But it's possible. We see Golovkin fight Jaime Munguia, which that's the most lucrative fight for him. And it's possible we may see him fight Jamal Charlo. It's not really a lucrative fight, but Al Heyman, if, if, if Golovkin was willing to sign with PBC, they would overpay him. They go out of their pocket and kind of lose money to do that fight because um, Charlo just doesn't really bring anything to the table. You don't know what's going to happen with um, Tim Zhu. Should Tim Zhu beat Jamal Charlo? Who knows? Maybe he moves up to 160. I'm just saying, guys, there are options there for Gennady Golovkin. He'll be just fine. Now, for Canelo, he's got to get surgery on his wrist and then recover. He's going to rest. I don't think he'll be back in the ring until next year's Cinco de Mayo weekend. Okay? I think he'll be back in the ring next May. He says he wants Bevel. Bevel has to beat Gilberto Zerto Ramirez first. That's a tall order. Zerto is not going to be an easy fight for Bevel. If he does beat him, 
I think it's very possible you get Canelo Bivol next Cinco de Mayo weekend. Good fight. Um, he's still an undisputed super middleweight champion of the world. This is what's interesting. Even though both Canelo and Golovkin lost fights this year, they still they're still champions. Canelo is still the undisputed super middleweight champion. And then uh, Golovkin has unified titles at middleweight. So, so for Canelo, yeah, look, he um, maybe it's Bivol. If Zerto beats Bivol, maybe he ends up fighting Zerto Ramirez. That's an all-Mexican showdown. That's big. David Benavidez, maybe he'll somehow work himself into that fight. But right now, he has zero leverage and brings nothing to the table. Literally nothing. So he's Canelo. He's, he's going to have options, and he's still going to be the face of the sport next year. Okay, that's what I see here. Let me get to some Super Chats. <clears throat> All right. Oh, we got a bunch of them. Oh, boy. All right, we're going to scroll way back. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, okay, going all the way back to Chris Bergen. Thank you so much, Chris. He said, that Triple H, it's time to play the game. Yeah, the Triple H thing, that was particularly bad. Triple H. And then what was awkward was like the, the silence after it. And then nobody corrected it. I would have just... Here's how I am. Like, like in moments like that, I just would have started laughing if I was on that broadcast and made a joke out of it and found a way to lighten everybody up and it just makes make a moment out of it because it's clearly just a mistake. All humans make them. Make a moment out of it. But there was just this awkward silence and they just moved on like none of us would notice. Millions of people were watching, bro. We noticed. It's all over social media. <laughs> Mark Ashley. Thank you so much, Mark. He says, both looked like they were just there for the payday. There was a little bit of that. There was a little bit of that. Yeah. Um, obviously, there was pride on the line. These guys are rivals. They both wanted to win. Golovkin was locked in, dude. Golovkin's locker room door was shut before the fight. He wouldn't let media in there. He wanted to win. And of course, so did Canelo. But there was an element of this to where these guys respect each other. I think after a certain point in the second half of the fight, they both knew it was going to be a distance fight. And they were locked in and, and, and ready for that. And they were good with it. Um, it is what it is. Mark with another super chat. Thanks again. He said, Pac versus Marquez still had the passion and the drama after four fights. I hope it is a lesson to everyone about the hype versus reality. Boxing is just different now. Yeah. Um, you know, that rivalry is a little different for a few reasons, dude. Um, the little fighters, a lot less money, easier to make those fights, bro. And it's the Pacquiao's and the, and the Marquez's. Those fighters are the reason, part of the reason, I should say, why a lot of little guys are getting paid what they're getting paid right now. But the Pacquiao-Marquez fights were just easier to make. The, the, the money involved was significantly less than Canelo Golovkin. Different time too, bro. There were two shows in town, HBO and Showtime. That was it. And uh, Marquez got, it sure seemed like he got a little artificial help in that fourth fight. 
I'm just going to say, this is a guy who was willing to drink his own piss because someone told him to do it. Um, refused to do Vada. Uh, there was never talk of a fifth fight. I don't know. Uh, some things just didn't look right. Anyway, Sam with another super chat. Thank you, Sam. He said, strange fight. Closed door, weigh in at 8 a.m. Canelo had a sore knee also. Canelo got tired after nine. Why did Triple G not try to win? Okay with a loss. WTF, you guys know what that stands for. Yeah, dude, the whole thing. Can I just say this? I mean, is it going to be held against me? And I, it, look, it is 2020 hindsight. And look, I was one of the people hyping up this fight. I totally own that, okay? And I really, I truly expected another really, really competitive fight. And by the way, people are acting like this was an absolute dog shit fight. It wasn't. Come on, guys. We've seen a thousand worse fights and just this year alone. It was still a high quality fight. It just did not live up to what we saw in the first two. Having said all that, though, it's clear now that this was way past its due date. It's clear now. I think it's safe to say that it's okay to say it, you know, and um, I, I hear you, Sam, that Golovkin, I, I don't believe that he did not try to win. I saw Golovkin trying to win. I just saw an old man that couldn't pull the trigger the same way. He, he made some, you telling me he didn't make adjustments in that fight. He made adjustments. He was doing things in the second half of the fight that he was not doing in the first half. Just wasn't enough, dude. He ain't got it no more. He's got enough to beat Murata. And by the way, he struggled early on against Murata. Murata hurt Golovkin to the body, and Murata won some rounds, right? So it's not as if Golovkin, that was just like one-way traffic. Now, after Golovkin got into his groove, it was one-way traffic. But it's Ryota Murata. Big step up from Ryota Murata to Canelo Alvarez. And I just think that, I really do honestly believe Golovkin tried different things, but he just didn't have it, dude. Anybody who's played a sport after the age of 40, come on. You know how that feels. You know how that feels. All right, hang on one second. All right. <clears throat> Sam with another super chat, he says, uh, where was the sense of urgency, Mike? Canelo was gassed and right in front of Triple G and no effort to get the knockout against a guy he hates. Again, I, I think that he tried to um, do different things, but dude, Canelo had answers for everything he did. And Canelo did land some pretty hard shots. And I, I, I talked about Canelo not wanting to risk certain things against Golovkin. Obviously, Golovkin wasn't going to throw caution to the wind and risk certain things against Canelo. Even in the beginning of the fight, you talk about when Canelo was gassed later in the fight. I think Golovkin was a little bit gassed too. His body looked a little bloated. It looked a little soft. He's definitely not a 168. In fact, I think Canelo wears 168 better than Golovkin. Um, but, you know, even early in the fight, it's not like Golovkin was just going in there, balls out, just trying to brawl. What I saw Golovkin doing, I, forget to, I forgot to mention this earlier, was I saw Golovkin trying to get hit less. That's the primary thing I saw from Golovkin the first seven, eight rounds. And that's what Jonathan Banks was working on. And that's what I think Jonathan Banks meant when he was telling everybody Golovkin's going to use his skills in this fight. I actually thought Gennady's defense looked better. Both fighters, 
but particularly uh, Golovkin, he took less punishment in this fight than he took in the rematch, right? A lot of that was defense and positioning and footwork, but also, yeah, not shooting as much. Because if, if you're not shooting as much, then you can't get countered as much. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I saw. Um, I saw a guy trying to get it to go late. And, yeah. It's easy to be hateful and fight hateful when you're 28 or 33. But when you're 40... It's hard to fight hateful, guys. <clears throat> it's You can fight hateful against somebody that is Ryota Murata, but not Canelo Alvarez. Not going to work the same way. Sam with another one. He says, Abel said Triple G looked like he was tapping the mitts. Yeah, um, he definitely was more on the back foot. He definitely was not turning over on the punches. Golovkin in his prime was a front foot fighter. At least when he threw hard power punches, he was a front foot guy. Uh, in this fight, he was on the back foot a lot, and he wasn't really pressing into the punches, right? Um, that was very evident in the first half, and he pretty much only threw jabs the first six, seven, eight rounds. Again, guys, th this is a fighter who I think realized right away that he was not going to be able to go in there and just throw caution to the wind and kind of let it rip the way he did against Ryoto Murata. After a few rounds of Murata, Golovkin started to throw some hard shots, and he had success with them. Murata kind of started to wilt and fold a little bit. And that's not going to happen against Canelo. Just not going to happen. And I think he just knew it wasn't his night, and there's a little bit of trying to save face there. That's just what it was. You guys got to – honestly, have you never seen this before? Those of you who have been watching boxing for more than a few years, if you've been watching boxing 10, 20, 30-plus years – You've seen this play out before. You've seen this. It, this is absolutely nothing new. So I, I'm kind of surprised that some of you are kind of surprised. Um, I, I understand Golovkin promised all these different things, but ultimately he wasn't able to deliver on those promises. And ultimately he revealed that he's a human being. That's That's what I saw Saturday night. Okay, make sure oh, we got another one from Ant once again. Thanks, Ant. He said, Paulie Malignaggi said right after the second fight that Nello would wait till G turned 40 to give him the third fight. He was absolutely spot on. So there's my boy, Paulie Malignaggi, who some people don't like some of his opinions. You may disagree with some of his worldview or whatever, but he is always going to give you his truth. I prefer people like that in life. Um, I prefer that to the politically correct walk on eggshells kind of thing. Paul is just going to tell you how he feels, love it or leave it. And he ended up being spot on. But I remember when he's, I don't remember that exact quote, but I remember he kind of had that sentiment. He was absolutely correct. And the great tragedy of this trilogy is that Golovkin got ripped off in that first fight. And I know some of you are like, let it go, Mike, let it go. But hear me out. Had Golovkin got that decision, it changes middleweight boxing history. And I truly believe this third fight would have taken place in 2019 because there would have been more leverage and there would have been more demand from fans. Think about it this way. If Golovkin wins that first fight, as good as it was, the second fight was even better. And then Canelo gets the W. 
the demand for the third fight would have been absolutely fucking massive in 2019, where there would have been so much money that neither man would have turned would have been able to turn it down. And Canelo couldn't have waited four years at that point because it'd be one and one with Golovkin. And he'd want to, you know, get that second W. He want to get that second dub. So I really think that this thing would have been wrapped up sooner. Hell, last Saturday might have been the fourth fucking fight between these guys. Let's say we got a draw on the third fight in 2019. Then COVID happened. The fourth fight might have taken place last year or maybe just this past Saturday. It could have been the fourth damn fight. Seriously. If that decision goes the way it should have went, everything would have been better, top to bottom. Top to bottom uh, for both men and the fans of both men and the industry in general. So, yeah, dude, um, the poly was spot on on that one. Spot on. <clears throat> Sam with another super chat says Triple G hated this guy, but seemed okay with a boring loss, then hugged Canelo for two minutes right after the bell. Age did not prevent Triple G from attack late. Dude, I do think it's age. Listen, there's a lot of things I've learned from my brief history fighting instead that I could interject, but I don't want to talk about myself here. I just, I really do think a lot of this is with age. And also, dude, this guy's made hundreds of millions of dollars and he still has big business at middleweight next year. You, you step into a hard knockout shot and you get slept in the 10th round. That might change the next year or two of business for Gennady Golovkin. You don't think that played on his mind a little bit? I think after a certain part, a certain point of this fight, he probably was content to go the distance. He wasn't ecstatic about it. He was content. I also think Canelo was content to go the distance. I think both men left a part of themselves in the ring, particularly Golovkin, in that second fight. And... uh this was, I don't know, dude. I don't know what else to say about it. I, I get that Triple G, quote unquote, hated the guy and Canelo, quote unquote, hated him, but they also respect the hell out of each other. And um, I think that just became very evident in, during this fight and then afterwards. All right. Did I catch all of them? I think I did. No, actually, I lied. There's one more right here. Uh, JT86TN with the super chat. Thank you so much, JT. He says, was not impressed with Canelo. If the roles ages were reversed, I think Triple G would have KO'd Canelo. Commentary was horrible. Canelo, not that good. Okay. Uh, some interesting comments here. So, listen, Canelo, not that good. I disagree with that. Canelo is still one of the top 10 pound-for-pound -pound fighters in the world. But I understand why you say you weren't impressed. That I understand. I do think Canelo underperformed to a certain extent. Apparently, he came into this fight injured, and he's been nursing several injuries for a while and um, played it kind of safe. Dude, if you had potentially $100-plus lined up down the road over the next one to two years, and you had this fight in the bag. You were up eight rounds to one, eight rounds to two, going into the championship rounds. Would you risk it? Would you risk it? You got $100 million of potential business on the line. Would you, would you go for broke? 
when you're up eight rounds to two going into the championship rounds of the fight? I don't know, bro. I don't know about that. I know I wouldn't. I know at 22, I would. Because at 22, you're a dumb shithead. But at 32, you got kids. You got a woman. You got a legacy, a future. You're going to risk that? I don't know, dude. I don't know. I, I think people are being a little overly harsh, which, which you have the right to be. Because this was a pay-per-view fight. The tickets were ridiculously overpriced. So you guys absolutely have a right to bitch and call out both fighters on this. Okay. I'm not trying to be, uh, I'm not trying to have a double standard because I've called out bullshit with other promotions and other fights that didn't need to be on pay-per-view. And I, I, I get all that in terms of star power. These are two pay-per-view fighters, but the fight did underperform. So I get it, man, go ahead and bitch and complain and be critical. I, I understand all that guys, but I'm just trying to put myself in the minds of these fighters. I, I kind of can't blame them for going the route that they did. Um, I do agree to a certain extent, and I think most people do. A 32-year-old Golovkin and a 40-year-old Canelo, yeah, this fight looks a lot different. And that's why I talk about earlier the production, the presentation, the business of boxing, sports entertainment, and how all these things work. I agree with you on all that. I absolutely do. <clears throat> but when you're the A-side, you're the A-side, and you get to make these calls. Sam A said, slipped. That guy has never hit the canvas. I hear you, Sam. I hear you. But if he fights, if he continues to fight on, he will. Come on, dude. Nobody had put down Pacquiao the way Marquez did in that fourth fight. Pacquiao had been down. Pacquiao had been hurt to the body. He had been hurt in fights. He'd been cut. But nobody slept his ass like that. One hitter quittered him. It was shocking, dude. And Pacquiao was able to recover from it and have a little second run. I get it. But this is a different situation. And again, with Golovkin, dude, you're talking about 400 fights total, amateur pro, right around 400. I'm not saying Canelo would have slept him, but I'm saying why risk it? Why risk it? I just think at this age, Golovkin wasn't ready to go in there and risk it. Michael Mendiolo with a great comment here. He says, good point, Mike. I feel the same way about the first fight between Andre Ward and Sergey Kovalev. That bad decision completely changed the trajectory of the rematch. Absolutely. Dude, it changed light heavyweight boxing history for a, a few years. The division is still reeling from it. And um, hopefully, Baturbiev and Bivol slash Zerto, those guys will fight next year and consolidate the division. But uh, yeah, when you see decisions go like that, it changes history, man. All right. Whew. Finally caught up. Papa Chubby said, look, I thought Canelo could exhaust and stop Triple G on the inside, but both of them had superhero chins. No KOs are coming that way. Yeah, dude. And again, look, the one thing I got right as I said, this, this shit's going to distance. Neither guy's getting knocked out. It's going to distance. Because several of you thought, a lot of people thought Canelo was going to just destroy Golovkin in like three or four rounds. It wasn't even going to get past the middle rounds. And then there were some people out there thinking, uh, Golovkin, that Canelo, you know, is done after he lost to Bivol. And uh, Golovkin was going to stop him late. I didn't see either of that. I thought I saw another distance fight. I just thought it'd be more competitive. I, I really did. So I was definitely wrong on that. 
I think, I guess we all were. All right. Um, uh, real quick, guys, preview. And then there's no way I'm getting to all these calls. I have a million freaking calls here, but I'll get to as many as I can. Uh, this Friday, September 23rd, top-ranked boxing on ESPN at the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey. Shakur Stevenson versus Robson Konsekau, a three-time Olympian who's got uh, 2016 gold medal in the 2016 real games. This is for Stevenson's WBC and WBO junior lightweight titles. This should be an interesting matchup. And props to Stevenson, man. He's had a good run lately. He's been fighting quality opponents. Do I think Konsekau is an elite-level pro? No, I don't, but he's a good opponent. This is a good quality opponent for Stevenson, and I think he's going to have another statement performance here. Uh, Stevenson on the cusp of the pound-for-pound list. Not quite there, but I would say right there around the top dozen or so on my list. Let's see how he looks in this fight. And then Saturday, September 24th, we have a card from Manchester Arena over in England. Queensberry Promotions, that's Frank Warren. And so ESPN Plus picked this one up. Joe Joyce, 14-0, 6'6", 37-year-old heavyweight prospect. Sounds crazy, right? Going up against Joseph Parker, 6'4", 30 years old. Parker seems so much older than 30. I couldn't believe that when I looked this up. I'm like, what? Because like on paper, you think Joyce is 30 and Parker's 37. But no, it's actually Joyce who's 37, Parker who's 30. Anyway, um, Parker is 6-0 since back-to-back losses to Anthony Joshua and Dillian White a few years back. Had a little bit of inconsistency in those performances. Let's see how he looks against Joyce. Um, on paper, Parker, a lot of experience and should give Joyce real problems, give him some real tough rounds. Parker is a powerful, explosive athlete. He has shown a good chin for the most part in his career. I, I like Joyce, though. I think Joyce is going to have some tough moments on the job, learn some things, but I think he's going to find a groove in the middle rounds and wear Parker down late. I see a distance fight. I do see a distance fight, but I think in the late rounds, Joyce is going to be putting some heavy leather on Parker. That's what I see. And then also on this card, uh, Amanda Serrano defending two uh, light. Well, I'm sorry. Flyweight title. Oh no, Jesus. Featherweight titles, the WBC and WBO featherweight titles. And she is unifying them with a Danish fighter, Sarah Mahfoud, who is 11-0 out of Denmark, and she has the IBF. So this is a three-title unification. Three of the four belts going to be unified here at uh, Featherweight. And for Mahfoud, this is her first bout outside of her native Denmark. So I'm a little bit disappointed that Serrano isn't really gunning for that rematch immediately with Katie Taylor, but it's a pretty good fight, and it's a three-title unification. You can't really complain with that. Serrano goes up and down in weight a lot. Last fight was at 135. This one's at 126. At some point, that's going to catch up with her. It really will. But um, I understand them doing this. I still hope we get the rematch between her and Katie Taylor next year. All right. Let's go. uh, Make sure I didn't miss anything. Yeah, I didn't miss anything. Okay. All right, let's jump to these phones, man. Wow, we got a bunch of calls. Guys, we, we got to make these as quick as possible, okay? I'll get through as many of these as I can, I promise. Yeah, we're going to start off with uh, 203, Anthony Santiago. How you doing, brother? What's up, Mike? 
How are you feeling, man? Because I know you're a big Triple G guy. How was your trip? How are you holding up? <laughs> no, the trip was good. Uh, so, yeah, was there with uh, Jack. We hung out. Pretty cool guy. Uh, his dad's there. He was pretty cool. We went to the, the weigh-in. I mean, it was 100 degrees, and it was completely packed. So that just tells you all the people that said, you know, there's no buzz about this fight. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy how many people were there. And then the fight itself, I mean, uh, complete sellout. Like, at first, uh, it didn't look like it was a sellout, but by the time the main event started, I mean, the place was packed. And uh, your boy Jim Boone, he hooked me up. I actually bought my ticket that Saturday for the fight. Got a really nice center uh, visors. Awesome. Had like an amazing view. Didn't even have to look at the screen. That's um, awesome. So I think like yeah, no, no, it was awesome. He he definitely hooked it up. So definitely recommend them guys for all the fights in Vegas. Uh, the fight itself, I mean, I don't, I can't really say anything more than what you said. Uh, I really like the conspiracy bullshit. I'm not into that. I just think it's primarily age, and I think it was strategy on G's part to try to wait till the second half. But I don't know why he didn't throw anything in the first half. Like you, you mentioned the Lomachenko fight. That was exactly what it looked like. Yep. Like exactly. For the first seven, eight rounds, but take nothing away from him. He he tried, and uh, it kind of reminded me of the that Pacquiao Ugas fight, where Pacquiao was trying but just couldn't get anything going. That's another great example. Like that's kind of what it looked like. And then Ugas against Spence, you know, it, it just um, sometimes yeah. you get old overnight. It just depends on styles and everything else. Yeah. Yeah, so, and uh, there was uh, actually a lot of Kazakh, uh, Kazakh fans there as well. I think about 15% of the crowd were from Kazakhstan. You can see all the flags there, which is pretty awesome. Uh, when Triple G was, like, leaving the ring, uh, like, I, I had a standardizer that you can go pretty close to the ring. So I was there with a bunch of Kazakh fans, like, 10 and Triple G when he was leaving. It was pretty cool. But, uh... <laughs> Uh, so, real quick, what's next? I would prefer Triple G to retire. I think he really has nothing to prove. I mean, I think he should just, I don't know if Zanabek is the guy to take over for Kazakhstan, but he looks like the next best option. Uh, Ali Akhmavedov, whatever his name is, he, he, he doesn't look very good to me. Yeah. But Zanabek looks solid. He was actually at the fight, was able to get a picture with him. Uh, but he looks pretty solid. But I do think if they try to feed like Jamal Charlo to G, something similar is going to happen with like Pacquiao and Thurman, where they try to feed Pacquiao to Thurman. And I think G is going to spoil that show if that happens. Yeah, I can see that. For Canelo, uh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just I was just agreeing with you. I could definitely see that. I mean, I would still favor. Golovkin over Charlo and Munguia, but those will be really tough fights for him. Really tough. Yeah. Yeah, and for Canelo, I mean, I don't know. I still would favor him over Benavidez, 
But on that night, like that night he was fighting Golovkin, I mean, I would have, I think Benavidez would have probably beat him. But I still think it's premature to say like Benavidez would beat Canelo. But he can't, that's really, I mean, the only thing I can see for him there at 68. At 75, I mean, I'm sorry, he he doesn't beat Bivol. It, it's not happening. I just cannot see it happening. So uh, he he has some big decisions to make as well. Mm. I mean, he looks like his career will be over in maybe like two or three years. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that. But Canelo's kind of in a tough spot. He's a money man, but I don't know who he can fight next at 68. 75 where he's going to have like a huge advantage over. Yeah, I agree. I think that Canelo is a guy that's going to retire probably in his mid thirties. And then maybe like come back every now and then and do exhibitions and things like that. Um, But he's got, you know, a couple more years, he's got options. I mean, perhaps Charlo moves up from uh, middleweight, you know, and if Charlo actually starts to build a brand at some point, maybe that's a, a lucrative fight option. Benavidez is there, but all those PBC guys, man, they got to fight each other and build up their brand. Uh, like, like Benavidez needs to fight uh plant and it, just that kind of stuff so that people know who they are. You know, um, they're just sitting around waiting for that Canelo payday. That's the biggest problem right now, but yeah, he's definitely got, options dude and um we'll have to see how it, how it shakes out we'll have to see how it shakes out yeah yeah i kind of feel bad for benavidez uh i mean he would he want those fights he, he's in a tough spot he wants those fights you can yeah, tell i heard that he uh, just resigned with pbc i heard that he just resigned with yeah, them. I'm, I'm like why would you do that <laughs> yeah I, I don't know if it's a management issue with him but yeah he's, he's in a tough spot yeah. But uh so just one last thing. What do you think about Bivol fighter of the year if he beats Zerno? Uh I think he takes the lead there. That's a great point, man. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, he would absolutely be a top candidate if he were to beat Zerno and beat yeah. him impressively. Yeah, he'd definitely be a top candidate for sure. Yeah, and uh yeah, Andre Ward always got to talk shit during the fight about Golovkin, but either here or there, he's just a hater. Yeah. But uh, so one last thing. Uh, sorry, I took probably more time than I should have. But uh, did go to a box expo with Jack. Uh, that was pretty cool. Got to see a bunch of fighters. Uh, like Benavidez was there. He was signing autographs. How much was they that? Some other cool people. Was, like, was, uh, was it like a cover charge uh, to go that? in? Yeah, it was like thirty bucks. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but uh, they did have like some really big names like Roberto Duran, uh, Marquez Morales. Cool. But it was kind of annoying because you had to pay like fifty to seventy-five bucks to like get in line and take a picture with them. I'm like, eh, I mean, I like these guys. Holy but I'm shit! Not paying fifty bucks to take a picture. So it's more than like the cover charge. You had to pay to get a picture with it. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, wow. Benavidez is in charge, but like a lot of the, the legends, like Duran, uh, definitely did charge. I was like, come on, man. <laughs> wow. 
But uh, I'll leave it there. I'll leave you there. I know you have a bunch of callers. Uh, I appreciate yeah, it. I just want to show my appreciation for, for G. No, he tried, but whatever. <laughs> He's still great. <laughs> All right, man. All right, let you go. All right, peace. Yeah, you know, guys, that's um, that's a harsh reality about boxing. I can't remember if I had mentioned this before, but, like, this isn't basketball. This isn't baseball where, like, you can kind of bow out gracefully. There are very, very few happy endings in boxing. And usually, you know, your favorite fighter or whatever, um, if you're, you know, if you're a fan and you have like a, uh, a love affair with a particular fighter, it's brutal watching them like on their way out. You know, um, I, I still talk to, you know, people from like my parents' generation and stuff, like what Ali went through, you know, the fans of Ali, you're seeing what, what he went through and stuff. And like, it still pains them to talk about it. There are just very few happy endings. And I think for some of you younger guys, you know, that call into the show and are big Golovkin fans, he's probably your first, you know, favorite fighter, quote unquote. And it's difficult seeing him go through this process. But what you'll find is that it's it's life. It's it's what happens. And other fighters come and other fighters go. And um, you, you, at one point, these guys, they look unbeatable. They look almost like they're not even human, right? And then you start seeing them look human. And that's just that's just part of the process, dude. And so some of you younger guys who want to say, oh, the, the fix was in. This was a fix. And you got you to gotta chill with that. There was no fix here. <clears throat> Super chat from Sam. Thanks again, Sam. He said, uh, Canelo won't fight a Mexican, David Benavidez. LOL. He only fought 40 of them while coming up. David would have beat him up Saturday night. Yeah, uh, Canelo did address those comments after the fight. And he said that ultimately he would be willing to fight Benavidez. I saw an interview where he did say that. He wants Benavidez to build up his name. I Look, I, I think it's ridiculous for Canelo to say he won't fight a Mexican. Um, whatever, Whenever he did say that, it was some interview recently where he said that. That obviously is a bad look. At, in the divisions that he campaigns in right now, there's not a whole lot of Mexican fighters, but David Benavidez is American, but he's of Mexican heritage. And so if Benavidez, who I do think is better than Caleb Plant, I do think he's better than Billy Joe Saunders. Uh, I do think he's better at 168 than Jamal Charlo and guys like that. I think that um, he's got to prove it, though. He's got to prove it, dude. Uh, and right now, you know, Canelo's out getting surgery and stuff. If you're Benavidez, man, line these dudes up and knock them down. Create that demand. Got to create that demand. All right, let's see. Back to the phones we go. We've got uh, 559 on the show. What's up? Hey, what's up, Mike? It's me, Miguel. Oh, what's up, Miguel? How you doing, brother? I'm good, good, man. I'm uh, healing off this sciatica nerve injury, but... Uh, ah, shit. God bless you and Tiff. Uh, God bless you and Tiff and your daughter. That's almost due to come to this world and... Thank you. Uh, keep working hard, man. Keep working hard, you know? Thank you, brother. Thank you. Um, all right, so now that this third fight happened, uh, I'm, I'm not surprised by the, the criticism from all sides. And when I say all sides, I mean mostly like from the Mexico side because I follow a lot of the stuff down there, you know, because I'm Mexican myself, but I'm not, I'm, I'm Mexican American. 
But anyways, um, I wasn't really surprised at that. I'm just surprised at the fact that nobody seen the blueprint happen from the beginning. I mean, if you're really good at this, you know, watching this, you have to take notes. This all, this all started when he openly dumped the belt. You made a great point. This all started when he said, hey, basically, I'm not going to fight the hardest fighters right now. I just lost to Mayweather, but my stock is rising. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, that's what it was. But see, the thing is, he was with Oscar De La Hoya at the time, who, hey, he, he's best friends with some of the Mayweathers. He knows how to do it, too. He did it himself, too. You know, he did the blueprint and everything. But at the same time, the thing with De La Hoya is he consistently um, up the ante with competition with Canelo. He ended up fighting Cotto. You know what I mean? And at that point, he didn't even have to do that. And he did. And he's, he, he's seen, holy crap, like this guy is making me fight the good guys. You know, here comes Golovkin. Someone that's in the, actually an elite level in his prime fighter, you know. And the lawyer said, look, give it a year or two. Dump the bell, do whatever you got. Give it a year. We're going to fight him. That way he can fare better because he will beat you. You know, he's not just a promoter. He's, he was a manager. He was damn near the trainer. Everything. So they did that. Big ass controversy because they knew, hey, look, we need the scorecards to help us out because he might beat us. So it goes to a draw and it was to their benefit. Like, we'll cause controversy no matter what, how, no matter how bad he actually beat us on camera, we'll cause controversy, which would demand the rematch. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And because uh, it's not like back in the days when your favorite fighter lost and you demanded him to rematch the guy. Or work his way back up. It's not like that no more. People want to see punches and uppercuts and heads flying and just a show. You know what I mean? And you can't you can't really play with that when it comes to high deadly competition like Triple G. So I mean, no offense. I'm gonna just tell the truth. He literally cheated to fight him the second time. Literally cheated. Used the system to his advantage. Got a privileged privileged disciplinary correction on. It wasn't. It was just. The fight got delayed for six months. That's all it was. The steroids were still in the system. I don't care what anyone says. You take drugs, especially those kinds. They stay in your system for years. So, oh, he t- he finally tested clean when they fought the second time. Dude, he was so dirty. Now, did it help him much? Um, it, the fight was still 50-50. Every time I watch that fight, it goes back and forth. So they had no choice but to wait this guy out. You know, so people act like, you know, this was this this big old surprising outcome. Like, dude, every possible outcome already played out in my head from the first freaking fight, and I'm just glad this shit's over because now you're gonna you're gonna have to see what Canelo's really made out of. Unfortunately, in my opinion, bad managing. They waited way too long to fight this guy. Now, credit to Triple G. Um, you know, unique things about him. He's never been dropped. He's never even been buzzed. Wobble leg, noodle leg, none of that. He he literally has the spirit of his brother living in him, and it gives him like that freaking unhuman like Superman chin. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But you can still force a stoppage. You don't have to drop a guy or wobble him to force a stoppage. Yeah. So that's my biggest criticism. Both of these guys refused to pull the trigger, and it was embarrassing. I'm not gonna lie. I didn't even watch the fight. I woke up. Out of a deep sleep, I went on Facebook, and Facebook wasn't even blocking it, for one. So that tells you the financial side of things. I didn't even care to block it that much. But I woke up, 
And I jumped on it right away. I was like, holy crap, I'm missing this fight, right? And it was a 12th round, and it looked like the first round. Because I rewatched the fight later, and I was like, oh, my God, you guys are just not. You guys are just hitting each other a couple of times on purpose and going back and forth with it. None of you guys are making, none of you guys are, are trying to cut off the ring inside fight and set up a flake jab to a power overhand. No, no skill. It's just back and forth. One, two, three. One, two. One, two. One, two, three. Yeah. Jab, jab. And it's embarrassing because Triple G is way far removed from what it used to be. Man, at one point, dude, he had the most accurate and powerful jab in boxing. Yeah. I mean, people forget what he did to David Lemieux and all these other dudes, you know, all these monsters at 160. And just to see him like that, that's another thing I want to say. Him too, his, his managers, whether they were trying to train him to not take damage or not, dude, he took, he's been taking so much damage and everything was to set up his third fight and now look what happened. I just, I wish the guy good. I hope he retires. Um, he he drops weight to 160. He's not going to be healthy and he's going to get knocked out brutally. Someone's going to win that uh, honor and he shouldn't give him that. Um, as far as Canelo, I'm going to just say this. The reason he didn't want to knock him out is because he was going to get the same or more criticism. He could have mm-hmm. easily cut off the ring, uh, double step, and just went to the body and back up and, and really hurt this dude for the first time, you know? And he didn't want to because everyone's going to be like, especially the Mexico fans, well, you knocked out an old man. So in order to avoid that, he tried to do what the PBC game plan is, which is to carry the fight. Mm-hmm. And... And man, that's just a bad asterisk, you know what I mean? It, it, all this shenanigans, all these fighting nobodies for all these years, except Bevel, um, all that, you know, would have actually paid off if he would have knocked this dude out or forced a stoppage and actually declare his intention to go on a, on a murderous role run. But he's not doing that. He's actually, it's another thing by him saying, I'm not going to fight Mexican people. Please understand, that's another blueprint. I'm not, I'm not, in other words, uh, the best guy that at 168 is probably going to be Sordo Ramirez, and then at one, uh, 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 excuse me, 175, and at 168 it's going to be Benavides. I don't want to fight those guys. In other words, I'm not going to fight them because it'll be too close of a match. That's what he's trying to tell everyone, you know what I mean? I'm not going to fight because they're too good. <laughs> I mean, someone made a point earlier, he fought 40-something Mexicans before he, he fought Mayweather, and all of a sudden you want to fight Mexicans, you know what I mean? When clearly we're making our mark in the higher divisions now yeah and true. you know all they talk about Bebo again that he's gonna fight Bebo again once again it's another blueprint business tactic to keep you thrown off he's not gonna fight that guy again he's <laughs> gonna probably get knocked out by Bebo if he fights him again <laughs> what I think what's gonna happen is this um more than likely he's he's, he's gonna fight Benavides, if not, I get I, I actually see him doing a May with it, dude. I actually see him semi I mean if he's not gonna fight till next May, that's basically like a semi retirement anyway. Hmm. You know, if you ask me, uh Golovkin doesn't have nothing left in him. There's no it's like the Batman and Robin concept. Hmm. They need each other. And the comic book says that's the author's the author's purpose of the whole story. Without these two in each other's life, there's nothing going on. You just have this dude in the cape running around being a regular criminal. And, is, and with and without Joker, you have, without Batman and Joker's eyes, you have this dude in a clown suit. That's it. But you put them two together, and holy crap, look at all this drama and look yeah. at all this back and forth. And, and, and it's just, I, I just, 
I don't see that, where Canelo goes from here. He's he, that's he the production part. Guy. That's the the production part. Exactly. Talk about, Thank man. you. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And another thing, you know, I just I hope both fighters uh, learn from this because they, as 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 the old adage goes, you can have all the mirror. And you said this yourself. You can sell all the tickets you want. You can make all this money. Right, Mike, you said it yourself. You can make all this money, but that doesn't equate to greatness. Why do you think Gervonta Davis is not ranked in the pound for pound? Right. Because of, of crap like this, you know, you can, and the production part is good, yeah, but we're not here to give you props on how good of a production you get. We're right. here to give you props on the level of competition you're able to go through. You know Dude, what I mean? You know, and, a and, fucking movie doesn't win the Oscars because it had the best fucking cinematography. <laughs> I mean, that's a category. Yeah, but the fucking exactly right. the, the movie of the year goes to the the fucking movie with the best script, the best movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Man, we've seen this recently where it's flipped. You know, so I just want people to let that, let that, let these words of mine maybe give you some comfort in these troubling times where everything's everything's backwards, dude. We got Devin Haney calling himself a goat. <laughs> we got Javante Davis uh, labeling himself a champion at one forty, dude. And he's made up that, like, you know, it's it's fake. Crazy shit, and, crazy and people, shit. Yeah, so I just want to say thank you for giving me this time. God bless you and sis, and I'm out, man. All right, thanks a lot, Miguel. <clears throat> yep. All right. Let's see. Um, by the way, I, I got to mention this in the chat. So, so Michael Mendiola, Michael Mendiola and the fight doctor have made a bet, and we're going we're gonna to hold him to this shit. If Mungia and Charlo ever fight, Mendiola's got Mungia winning. Fight doctor who hates everybody uh, except Charlo thinks Charlo's going to win. So that's the bet. You guys are on the record. And if you guys really want to put money up, I will be, since I'm the neutral corner, I'll, I'll hold the cash. You guys Venmo me the cash and I'll, I'll, I'll give it out to the winner. I'm just going to take a 10% processing fee. <laughs> I don't know, with inflation, I, I might have to charge a 15% fee with the damn inflation right now. But that's the bet, you guys. All right, um, man, guys, we are almost up on two hours. I'm so sorry. We're, we're not going to get to all these calls. But let me jump through a couple more real quick, all right? Uh, we're going to go to 570. This is Thad. What's up, brother? Yeah, Mike, I'll be quick. And I agree with what you said about the Golovkin-Canelo fight, so I'm not going to you know, rehash. Just, I especially agree on... Uh, Triple G being a clean fighter. That's how you look when you're 40, when you're fighting clean. Yep. You're not yep. looking like uh, Hopkins and Mayweather, you know, getting stronger as a fight goes on. Okay. You know, you're, that, that's a pudgy guy is, is what Oscar looked like when he fought Sturm at middleweight, if you remember. That, that's not his natural weight class. And we all saw why Triple G never moved up in weight. It's because when he got to the pros, he was already a full grown man. And, and moving up would have, you know, would have been like Lomachenko moving to 140 and Mayweather moving to, to middleweight. Right. It's just that simple. And there was no fix. I've only seen one fixed fight that I could verify. And in, in, since I've been a boxing fan since 1981, it was Deontay Wilder versus Malik Scott. Malik Scott took a dive, plain and simple. It was, it was, it was a fixed fight. That's it. That's all I've seen. I could verify and I could say that on the record. So everybody, you got to cool your jets. It was, you know, we all knew going in what it was going to be. You bought into the hype. You know, as a guy past his prime in, in Triple G, we all knew that. But they got me. past his prime, too. They got me, Thad. I, I, well, yeah, I thought they'd be more competitive. I really, really did. 
and I had a fight party and I didn't go to the casino to watch it. Uh, I had people over and I, and I warned them. I said, look, this, this might not be a great fight. You know, uh, it's past its due date. So I made a nice spread, an Italian spread, manicote. I got a pasta. I got uh, homemade meatballs, a marinara, and, and I made a, a butternut squash soup. Everyone was like, what the hell is this? But it was like the best item. They're, they're all going crazy. So awesome. everyone was throwing me like money at the end of the night. I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, but yeah, I ended up making <laughs> more money than what I spend on the, <laughs> nice. on the whole shindig. So yeah, people were happy with the food, you know, but it was a good time. And that's all that matters sometimes. So yep. with that, with that being said, maybe at a, at a later date, I could talk more about Golovkin and his career, but I will say this, he, he is going to fight Lara next probably. Mm. And then Charlo, if he signs with PBC, it'll be a two fight deal or he's going to fight Munguia. It's going to be one of the two. So which way does he go? It, it, does he take the two fights or does he take the one fight? You know, it, it, it depends. I think he's, he has an easier time fighting uh, Charlo and Lara. I think Munguia might be an issue because he's too young and he's too active. The other two guys, he could play with them and he could beat them just on, on, on his guile alone and his chin. Because I don't think much of Charlo and I, and I think Lara is, is you know, he, he's, he's going to be a, a statue and there to be hit. And if Golovkin's right hand heals, and I think he broke his hand, to be quite honest, you know, he'll dispatch of them both. But, Mike, what I really want to talk about is this weekend, if you give me some time here just to go over what's going to happen this weekend, this is one of the best betting weekends for boxing in a long time. Maybe since the Katie Taylor, Serrano, and uh, Shakur Stevenson versus um, uh, the guy he won the title against, I forget his name. But um, it's yeah, Vegas is wrong for, on the line. Right. Are you here. talking about uh, Friday or Saturday or both? And we'll talk about more Friday, but yeah, if you want to hit it real quick. Yeah, hit it real quick. Yeah, if I could, I'll, I'll break it down on Friday if you have a show. But right now, if you can get Joe Joyce where he's at right now, minus 175 to win straight up, that's a steal. And if you can get Joe Joyce by decision at plus uh, 170, that's another steal. But you could hedge your bet because if he does stop – Parker, it's going to be in the 10th, 11th, or 12th round. You get 25 to 1 odds there. So my advice, put $10 on the 25 to 1, 10, 11, 12 knockout. Put put 100 bucks on the plus 170 to win by decision. And also put about 350 to win 200 on Joe Joyce straight up. Joe Joyce is going to win this fight. Uh, Joe Parker is a good fighter, but he's not an elite fighter where he, he shows up to win, but he doesn't win against the elite fighters. And Joe... Vegas doesn't think that Joe Joyce is an elite fighter. The way they set this lineup, it's 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 he's undervalued. This is stealing money. Unless he flips on a banana peel on the way to the ring, Joe Joyce is going to win this fight. I like Joe Joyce. That jab is a, is a telephone pole jab. The guy, you know, was ripped off in the Olympics against uh, that that string bean he fought, the French French guy. Uh, Joe Joyce. The only time he's lost was against Usyk. Okay, in the World Series of Boxing. This guy's the real deal. And if he loses, then, then I'm a monkey's uncle. But, but I, nothing <laughs> okay. against Joe Parker. But he, he fights to his level of opposition. He does just enough. But he yeah. doesn't do enough to win. He's got that sparring partner mentality now with, with Tyson Fury. Okay? Yeah. So he'll, he'll show up and he'll win rounds, a couple rounds here and there. He's just not active enough. He's, he's, he's fast, you know, which will give him problems. Yeah, he's, he's a good athlete. I think partner. it's a later round. But I completely agree with you, Thad, yeah, in this fight. I, I like Joyce big in this. I do. Big, big. I mean, Mike, my, minus 175. I mean, you could put 1750 on this. You could put 17,500 uh, on this. It's it's a good bet. 
So <laughs> uh, you know where I'm at. And and then uh-huh. with the uh, Shaker Stevenson, yeah, you're you, the, the line's coming down now. He was 25 to one at one point. Now he was 20 to one. Now it's coming down like to 13 to one. So there's good value. I know it's a lot to pay on Stevenson. I just there's no way he he loses this fight. This is he he always performs best against a boxer, a pure boxer. And Conceição is is a pure boxer. He offers no size and no power. So I like Stevenson to have his way with him. Maybe a late stoppage, but most likely by decision, you can get him at minus one sixty five. So put up one hundred sixty five beans, and you get a you get a hundred back. Hmm. So. Okay. I mean, it's 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 a really good weekend, and 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 to leave you, I have to add this in. Andre Ward is the biggest piece of shit in boxing. Okay, he left the light heavyweight division hanging when he had two mandatories after he ripped off Kovalev twice. He was supposed to fight Bivol for the WBA mandatory. He skipped out on that. He's supposed to fight Baturbia for the IBF mandatory. He skipped out on that, and he tried to be a weasel and fight Tony Bellew at cruiserweight. And when cruiser and when Tony Bellew said, "Nah, I'm fighting Usyk," he 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 ran to retirement. So who is he to be critical of Golovkin and even Canelo at this juncture? Andre Ward will go down as the biggest piece of shit in boxing history, in my view. So, you know, all, all you Andre Ward fans, you, you guys, I mean, there's not much I could say about you. Okay. So I'm going to put that out there and I hopefully uh, I get some responses it's been sticking in my craw for a long time. I, I want to get that out there <laughs> and maybe hear, hear what you say. All right. Yeah, Mike, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. So I'll leave you with that. And uh, maybe I could hear your response. And All get right, some callers. Thanks, man. All right, man. Thanks. Damn. Thad pulling no punches today. I'll say this about uh, Andre Ward. And then I'm going to leave it alone. Um, the holier than thou persona, the son of God, I'm Mr. Righteous, I do everything the right way thing is uh, a front. I'll just say that. All right. <clears throat> One more call. One more call. We only got like five minutes left. So you got you got to make this super quick, but he's been on hold for almost an hour here. 619. You got about four or five minutes. Thank you. That's about the time I had before I clocked the C1. I swamped out there from San Diego. How are you, man? What's up, Juan? How you doing? <laughs> We're talking on. I'm doing great, man. Uh, it's funny that that I'm about to cross the Tijuana because I I wanted to talk. I was I was in Vegas, uh, and uh, I I was obviously disappointed with the result of the fight. I wanted to you know I wanted to be there for for G to bring back a win and you know bring back time. But again, things happen. As, they were supposed to happen, and that's it, right? As I said on Twitter, and we talked about this there, he looked old like a lot of guys have looked old in the past. They stopped throwing punches in the beginning of the fight. They are tentative. They just can't pull the trigger. Then they can a little bit, but it's not enough. You've seen, you've seen it with Holyfield versus Tony. You saw it with Oscar versus uh, Manny Pacquiao. And you've seen it with a lot of guys. I, I would, you know, you, you've seen that. If you've seen boxing long, long enough, you shouldn't be surprised by this. Exactly. The other thing, um, uh, you know, I have, because, you know, I grew up in Tijuana, I have a lot of friends there, and Jaime Munguia is a very, very popular guy. Like, I don't know why. I, I really don't understand why, but he's popular. Like, people like him. He's very approachable, takes pictures with everybody. He's not, he doesn't have the, 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 the most uh, sparky, fruity, uh, I don't know, best uh, personality, I would say, but I don't know. If there's something about him that people like, a genesis claw, he has that. So, I have friends that known personally that used to work with Sam during, you know, 
And they, I was told that that fight's going to happen. That, that's the fight with G. I'm almost 100% sure from what I'm hearing that that's going to be the next fight for him. And, and I think that's a tough fight, man. I, I believe, and I, I was talking about this with a lot of people, I believe that for Canelo, going down in weight, playing that much golf, that takes its toll. 62 fights takes its toll. One day you start getting injuries. You start slowing down. Not because you're 32 years old. doesn't mean you're old in the ring. And I saw the same guy I saw in May because I was I was in the arena for the Bibble fight too. I saw the same guy. I didn't see any improvement. I saw a guy that just didn't throw too many punches. He was confident that she didn't just throw any punches, so he cruised. And that's a guy that's also getting older. And in, in terms of G, I'm also not happy that he's going down again after he went up because he's an old guy, and that's not going to be good for his body, you know. Hopefully I'm wrong, but, you know, 40 years old, dude, what do you expect? The guys, one day, things are not going to turn out right. And guys like Munguia, who I don't think is that great, but is good enough, young enough, it's hard enough, and it's active enough, that he can pull out a decision. That's what these guys are, you know, are pushing for. They can see the opportunity. much like Canelo saw an opportunity with Kovalev. They see, okay, he's a good man. He's still somewhat good. He can win this fight. And trust me, that's going to happen, man. That's going to happen. And uh, and finally, I, I just want to say this. I, I, I was disappointed that in the end, you know, uh, nothing beats the big fight, uh, you know, feeling. It was so awesome to be there. The intro was great for both guys. I met a lot of guys from Coffee Sun that were super nice because I was working my, my Triple G uh, uh, T-shirt. And they were like, why does the Mexican root for G? Because I was a fan of the guy. I was a fan of the guy before, you know, uh, before he fought to know. And I'm going to be a fan of that guy to the end because that's my man. And another thing, the final thing, uh, Michael, that I want to say, a lot of people keep calling uh, Gennady an Eastern European fighter. He's not. He's Asian. He's from, he's from Kazakhstan. That's Central like Asia. 10 hours away from from Europe. <laughs> and, it, it, and Kazakhstan was never Russian. It was part of the Soviet Union right. 35 years ago. Right. He's not Eastern European. They may have the same school of boxing. That's true. But he is not uh, Eastern European. He actually doesn't look like a regular cop. <laughs> right? Yeah, so, that's true. Well, because wanted, ethnically, uh, his uh, his father is Russian, so he is ethnically Eastern European. Um, but yet, Kazakhstan is in Central Asia, so, so it is kind of funny, right? It, exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of ignorance. Yeah. But yeah, Juan, we've talked about that before, it, uh, just about like the Mexican yeah. thing, the Italian thing, and how a lot of uh, Americans mistake you know, our ethnicity and, and different things like that. And the, the complexities there, it just, exactly. there's a lot of ignorance out there, bro. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, I, and I've seen it from uh, like people that are, know what they're talking about. They're like, they have the, like, the blue check mark in their Twitter and Instagram account. And they keep making that mistake. Much like the triple H mistake that I heard. People <laughs> yeah. are saying, again, yeah. people need to get this right. And, and one final thing, when I was a kid, and I was reading the Ring Magazine, the KO Magazine, 1991, 1992. There was this guy, his name was Jeff Ryan. I don't know where that guy is, but that guy, he said something there. He said, hey, you know what? Whenever I have to, you know, talk to a guy from Japan or, or Thailand, wherever, I want to, I at least want to pronounce his name the right way. That's the least he deserves. And I think a guy, at least, at least he deserves to be respected for where he comes from. And, and people should, know about that I, I i respect i never forgot that so uh hopefully 
some of the old guys are listening to that and, and can repeat that because it, it, it's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Awesome stuff, Juan. Appreciate uh, it, man. All right, Michael. Nice talking to you, okay? All right, brother. Have a good one. You too. Yeah, on that final note, guys, before we go here, and I know we're actually over time. I got to keep it under two hours. We're a little over. Um, before, uh, I got to give a shout out to Keith Jason, who who was the ring announcer for the Crunk Card up in Detroit this Saturday. And me and him both went to the locker room before the show started and talked to the fighters and how they pronounced their name. Not how we interpreted it, but how they pronounced their name. And we, we took notes on that so that we pronounced the names correctly. Him introducing them to the ring and me on, on the commentary. And that's something that I've done uh, for all the shows that I've called. It's just uh, what you're supposed to do as a professional. All right, guys, uh, we'll do a show Friday because obviously, like, there's probably over 20 calls I didn't get to today. So you guys call it Friday and we'll continue to chop it up, all right? Um, I appreciate it, guys. Great show today. Thanks for obliging me. Listen to me talk. And uh, we'll do it again Friday. Peace.